Thank you. Thank you. It is so good to be here. Uh, my wife Rachel and I have been so blessed by this church, uh, by Dave and Karen. What an example of uh, godly leadership and amazing people. And so it's just a real joy to be here. So thank you for inviting me. I uh, have been leading worship for over 20 years uh, in lots of different contexts, different nations. Just yesterday, uh, I was in uh, London at Wembley leading 8,500 young Catholics in worship. So it's amazing, this thing we do when we gather together to worship. But one of the most memorable times I've ever had in worship, an unforgettable moment, was a few years ago in London. And I was leading worship at this church. It was an early morning gathering. It was October. It was cold. It was wet. It was grey. It was miserable. And we had kind of been rehearsing as a band. We were ready, raring to go. First song, we strike up the band. It's great. And I noticed this man walk from the back of the church and he begins to walk all the way down the aisle. And he gets to the front. But what I notice is that he's wearing no socks and no shoes. He's got a white shirt. He's got chinos. And then he's got a white towel wrapped around his waist. I'm thinking this is an unusual fashion statement. You know, maybe this guy's ahead of the curve. Maybe in a year's time, we're all going to be wearing white towels around our waist. But I clocked him. So we're singing away and I'm watching this guy and he's passionately singing, raising his hands in the air. And then as if it was the most normal and natural thing in the world to do, he begins to unbutton his shirt. And within a few moments, there he is, completely topless, this massive hairy guy, you know, proof of evolution right in front of me, worshipping away. And I'm thinking, this is unusual. You know, almost everywhere else I've led worship around the world, people generally keep their clothes on during worship. And I'm thinking, what's going on? I'm looking to the leadership at the side, you know, is this normal? Carrying on. And then I see he goes for the belt and he begins to unbuckle his belt. And I think, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I do not want to see what I think I'm about to see. And because people either had their eyes closed, worshipping, or they were looking up at words on a screen, no one had noticed there was this very large man about to get completely naked in church. At this point, I ran to the side of the stage over where the leaders were all worshipping, and I began screaming at them, Help! There's a man getting naked in church! They quickly saw what was going on, and they rushed over to him. Now, the thing about this amazing, amazing church is it is known for being incredibly polite and kind. And I saw these leaders gather around around him say, welcome, it's so nice to see you. You know, should we go out the back and we could have a nice cup of tea and we could talk about worship and nakedness. And, you know, this guy was having none of it. So he was trying to pull his trousers off. All these leaders were trying to pull his trousers back on. And he was basically dragged out the church, carried out, kicking and screaming. While I was there singing, isn't he beautiful, beautiful, thinking what on earth is going on? Now, you might be brand new. This might be your first time to church. Welcome. So good that you're here. You might be visiting. You might have been coming along to church for many, many years. But I wonder if you find yourself thinking, what is it we do when we worship? Why do we spend this time singing these songs? What is worship? Why is it so important? And I want to spend a few moments this morning looking at this subject. So if you have a Bible... Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 20. The words are going to come up on the screen. It's a story about um, the people of Judah. They're led by King Jehoshaphat. He's about 35 years old at this point. And he has spent much of his 
uh, reign, trying to protect the land of Judah and the people of Judah from enemy invasion. And in this story, we see a moment where many, many armies are coming against the people of Judah. Humanly speaking, it looks like it's completely game over. 2 Chronicles 20 says this, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah um, came together to help sorry, came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. People getting excited already. I love it. Verse 12, it goes on to say, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Imagine this. The people of Judah gather together, men, women, children. They're terrified. They're looking out. They know what's happening. They know the seriousness of the fate that awaits them. And what do they do? They begin to gather together and they begin to worship. They pray and they worship. They begin to remind themselves of who God is. They begin to proclaim the truth about who their God is. It says, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. Are you not the God of heaven? They're not doing that because God needs to be reminded of who he is. They're doing it because they need to be reminded of who God is. And this is what happens when we worship. You know, we gather together on a Sunday and many of us have got so many pressures and battles going on in our lives. Some of us perhaps limp into church. And the reason we start, we spend this time singing and proclaiming the wonder of who Jesus is because we need to remember who our God is, the victory he has won for us, the future that awaits us. And so as we worship, we begin to lift our eyes off the realities around us and remind ourselves of the hope that awaits us and that is with us today. Corrie ten Boom, she spent a number of years in a concentration camp during the Second World War. She saw firsthand pure evil, abuse, depravity. And she said this, she said, when you look at the world, you'll be distressed. When you look at yourself, you'll be depressed. But when you look to God, you'll be at rest. We're so quick to look at the world for answers. We're so quick to try and find answers within us. Dig deeper, try harder. But the truth is, God has given us the victory in Jesus Christ. And as we worship Him, as we look to Him, we begin to find strength and hope and confidence. So we sing these amazing songs, you know, about the powerful name of Jesus, about our Father who rules and reigns in heaven. We begin to find renewed hope. I feel like I spent so much of my life in that verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Some of the things we face are so complex, so challenging to know what, you know, in your businesses, in your home life, what are the next steps? We can always look to Jesus. We can always look to Jesus. Moving on in the story. 
Verse 14 says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Matania, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Some of you need to receive that today. The battle you're facing is not yours. It is God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them, for God will be with you. So the people have gathered together. They begin to lift their eyes. They begin to proclaim who God is, the God of heaven. And what happens? God begins to move. God begins to speak to them. God's spirit is poured out. And God begins to lead them and direct them. Again, you see, when we worship, when we spend time singing to God, thanking Him, articulating all the stuff that's going on within us, whether that's corporately or privately, We begin to engage in a two-way conversation. Worship isn't just us singing up to the heavens. Worship is also God speaking into us. You know, worship is initiated first and foremost by God. We love because He first loved us. God wants to speak to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to give you direction. He wants to lead you and guide you. And that's why when we worship, we begin to engage in that conversation. And God begins to move and God begins to speak. And we see that here. God begins to say, you know, head up, confront this enemy army that is fast approaching. Theologian James Torrance, he talks about worship. And he says there are two ways we can view worship. One is as a task, something we do. The other is worship as a gift, something we receive and are invited into. And I think for many of us, we can view worship as a task. It's something that we have to do. It's all dependent on us. And if you've been around church for a while, you'll know this. Okay, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to read my Bible every day and feel bad if we don't read it enough. We've got to pray. And how much is enough prayer? Is it five minutes a day? Is it half an hour a day? And then you hear about these all-night prayer meetings. Ah! And then you hear about movements like 24-7 prayer. And you think, oh my goodness, I can't even do five. How much is enough prayer? And then you think about giving. I've got to give. And then you think about serving and volunteering in church and the opportunities to serve in the cities and the communities around us. And it feels overwhelming and when we view worship as a task the validity the health of our worship is dependent on how well we're doing and the truth is we're never going to do well enough because we cannot earn our way into God's affection that's not what he's asking us to do we can never do enough because actually God says I want to bless you. This is a free gift. You can't earn my love. I just love you for who you are. I want you to receive my love, not to earn it. And if we view worship as a task, always something I've got to do better at, we'll end up jaded, discouraged, exhausted, burnt out. I remember growing up in a brilliant youth group and we'd meet Friday nights. One Friday night, we were gathered in this room, about 50 of us, and my friend was leading worship on an acoustic beat-up guitar. And we were sort of singing along, but our minds were on other things. You know, I have to confess, 16-year-old, 
young guy, I wasn't thinking about you know, the transcendence and imminence of Jesus Christ. I, I was thinking about the girl I fancied across uh, the, the room. And judging by the lack of singing and apathy, I think most people were probably thinking about the same girl that they all fancied. And uh, we kind of weren't really into it. And our, one of our youth leaders had obviously had a really bad day. And halfway through one of the songs, she just lost it. She stopped everything and she just began shouting at us. How dare you? You don't even know what Jesus did for you. He died on a cross for you that your sins might be forgiven. If he was standing here right now, would you look so bored, so disengaged? I can't believe I'm so disappointed with you. You could do so much better. She just went for it. I could see sort of all this kind of anger just kind of being released. She was loving it. And then eventually she kind of stormed out of the room, bam, slammed the door behind her. And we were there like, whoo. And my poor friend who was leading worship, after a while said, okay, well, shall we carry on singing? And we carried on singing. And this time, everyone was. <laughs> but it wasn't because our hearts were overflowing with love and gratitude for Jesus Christ. We were doing it because we thought we had to. And we were terrified if she came back in and we weren't worshipping enough, she'd tell us off. Some of you here, you're going to exhaust yourselves because you don't understand what worship is. This isn't something you have to do for him. This is something you are invited into. It is a gift. It is the most glorious gift. And when we worship, we're invited to commune with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This beautiful dance, this movement that goes on and we get ushered and swept up into it. The Godhead where we find hope, where we find life, where we find healing, where we find wholeness, where we find direction and vision, where we find peace, where we find strength and courage and boldness. You know, it should be that when we gather together and we begin to sing the praises of Jesus Christ, that confidence rises up within us. You know, the dream is that when we gather together, that we leave here feeling we are loved, we are chosen, that the King of heaven and earth lives in us that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and it lives in me and we can go out and face all that the world may throw at us because we have overcome in Jesus Christ. Amen? So worship isn't just this sing song. So karaoke, you're sort of wondering why does the ball not bounce across the words? It's not even let's warm things up for Dave for when he comes to preach. Worship is a spiritual activity and when we do this, we are changed. God begins to move and he begins to lead us as individuals, but also powerfully, corporately as the people of God. So we're going to carry on the story. The rating's about to get up to a 12, maybe even a 15. Verse 20 says this, Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they'd finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. 
When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and they looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. God has spoken to them as they begin to look to them. He says, take up your positions. You know, adopt a posture of thanksgiving, of confidence in Jesus Christ. Stand firm. You know, be resolute. Hold your nerve. Watch what I can do. Watch how powerful I am. And as they're standing there and as they begin to consult with one another, they, they decide to put at the front of the army the singers and the musicians who begin to sing, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Now, if I were King Jehoshaphat, I'd tell you what I wouldn't do. I would not put at the front of an army a bunch of skinny jean wearing, overly emotionally sensitive, metrosexual musicians. I would want the most brave, ugly looking, brutish looking, hairy and scary men and women, don't accuse me of sexism here, at the front of the army. So that at least the enemies might think, well, we're going to have at least some kind of battle here. But God ways are higher than ours. He works in mysterious ways and he says, put at the front the singers and they get to the front. And I can imagine them lining up, you know, one with the cymbal, one with kind of a horn, and then one with the triangle. Bing. And they're standing there looking at each other. This is it. We're going to die. This is the last time we're going to sing together. It's like the string quartet on the Titanic was it's going under. This is it. Game over. And they quietly, terrified, begin to sing. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Ding. And then I imagine them flinching, getting ready for the spears and the arrows and the rocks to come flying in on them. But nothing happens. And so with a little bit more confidence, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And they begin to look out and see that all these enemy armies are beginning to turn on one another. They're fighting one another with more authority. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. And this time they look out and all these enemies are turning on each other. They're killing each other. They're seeing blood flying everywhere. Bodies falling everywhere. And as this is going on, they're beginning to celebrate and worship. There's a conga going around the places. They're singing, give thanks to the Lord. And they get to the end of this song. And they look out and they see that there is not one member of that enemy army standing alive. They're all dead on the floor. That great valley which is going to plea their place of death and destruction. Suddenly it lies quiet before them. The greatest military victory in Judah's history and the people of Judah have done absolutely nothing except worship. Kingsgate, this is what I want to say to you today. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. When we worship, we change. When we worship, we welcome and usher in the power of heaven. When we worship, we align ourselves with the truth and the reality that Jesus Christ rules and reigns. When we worship, nations shake. When we worship, the darkness is pushed back. When we worship, God breaks through. 
why I love Psalm 149, verse 6. It says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Crazy thought, but when we worship, it's like God places in our hand a a two-edged sword to fight back the enemy, the accusations that fill our minds and our thoughts. You know, you can't do that. You're not good enough. If, if people knew what you got up to yesterday, you'd never be welcomed in. You know, you, you haven't got the strengths and the gifts with this business. You're, you're way out of your depths. You know, who are you to think God could use you? These enemy voices that hold us back. When we worship, it's like he gives us a sword to push back the darkness to say, no, we are more than conquerors. That's why I can't encourage you enough. Define patterns, rhythms, habits every day. You're connecting with God. Whether it's just articulating for a few moments before you leave your house. God, you're so good. God, you're powerful. Maybe reading a bit of scripture or psalm. Whether it's on the commute to work, just putting on a bit of worship music. Just reminding yourself that you don't need to face today on your own. You're not called just to limp through life for 60, 70, 80 years. No, God has placed you on this earth with a plan and a purpose to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in worship. We're reminded of that. And as we worship, we begin to join the victory song. We remind ourselves that we're on the winning team. As Dave would say, we're all Man City supporters. I know that's offensive to some of you here and I must be hard Jesus has done it he's won 1 Corinthians 15 verse 54 death has been swallowed up in victory this is our story this is our realities the people of God where O death is your victory where O death is your sting thanks be to God he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ whatever you're facing whatever enemies you're facing whether it's sickness cancer mental health, whether it's financial pressure, whether it's complications in your business, in your workplace, whether it's broken relationships with your family, with your friends, whatever it is, God is with you. In worship, it's not always like these problems are taken away. Worship isn't about escapism, sort of lifting us out of the reality of pain. But what happens, something even more profound, even more beautiful actually, when we worship, God comes down to us in the midst of our pain and he begins to transform us, to view it so differently, to have hope that he's with us, that we can overcome. There's a man called Vedran Smelovich. He was the principal cellist for the City Opera House in Sarajevo. And in the early 90s, Sarajevo was being bombed and destroyed through war. This beautiful European city, so many beautiful landmark buildings being decimated by bombs. And on the 27th of May, 1992, Vedran Smelovic was in his apartment practicing his cello. And suddenly an explosion went off. And he looked out of his apartment and he saw on the town square below him 22 men, women and children had been killed as they simply lined up for bread. And he was just so angry at the horror, destruction of war. They thought, what am I going to do? And so he, he dressed up in his suit. He grabbed his cello and they're going to show a picture. And he went to the different landmark buildings that had been destroyed by bombs. 
and he grabbed his cello and he just began to play. He'd play this piece of music, Adagio in G minor. And I find this picture incredibly haunting. And for me, I think this is a beautiful picture of what happens when the people of God worship, that in the midst of ruins, the midst of pain, in the midst of confusion, something of beauty is lifted up. Something of hope. Something that symbolizes that there's more. Hope rising up in the ashes all around. Vedran Smelovich said, my cello is my weapon. Well, we have something so much more powerful than a cello. We have the power of the risen, ascended Jesus Christ living in us. And wow, does the world need to find a song of hope, a song of joy, a song of peace in the midst of such chaos and confusion and political confusion, economic confusion. When we worship, we begin to offer up something of hope. I've been fascinated to see in, in churches over many years and more recently leading a church in Birmingham with my wife that so many people who, who come to church for the first time, maybe have no faith, no belief in Jesus, that they come up to me at the end and they say, in the worship, I, I found myself overcome with emotion. I found myself weeping and crying and, you know, the music was good, but it wasn't that good. It's the presence of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you wouldn't say you're a Christian yet, but in the worship, there's something where you find yourself just overcome with emotion. You're sensing something and I believe you're sensing and experiencing the goodness, the hope, the beauty of Jesus Christ. And he's good. And he says that I have plans for you. And Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness. He brings a life that no money can ever compare with, no amazing house could ever compare with, no perfect body could ever compare with. When he meets with you, he changes you from the inside out. And again, in worship, we begin to receive that courage and that strength and that anointing, that empowerment to be good news. See, there's this flow in worship. We gather together. We begin to remind ourselves of how good God is. We find strength and courage and hope. He begins to speak to us and begins to lead us, but then he begins to send us out. He begins to equip and empower us to bring hope wherever we go. There's an old former Archbishop of Canterbury William Temple. And he said this, the world can be saved from political chaos and collapse by one thing, and that is worship. Now that's not singing songs, but that's worship when we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are fully aware of our identity as children of a heavenly Father, we begin to live free and bold, expansive, risk-taking, courageous lives that bring change in our communities all around us. Don't you want that? Don't you need that? Don't you long for that in your own life? I believe worship is a key gateway to enter in to all that God has for us. So I encourage you, Invest in what it means to be a worshipper. When you gather together, don't just sort of drift through the songs. Oh, you know, sing, sing, sing. Remind yourself, God, this is who you are. As I'm singing of who you are, I believe you are beginning to work in me. And this actually is going to be a key moment that changes me so that I can be all that you want me to be this week and all that comes my way. 
And also for some of you here, you are facing challenges and threats. You are in the midst of a battle. And if you are, hold on. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance God is going to give you. In the midst of your challenges and battles, begin to sing. Begin to worship. Begin to remind yourself that Jesus is Lord, that he rules and he reigns. Just for a moment, if you're in a battle, put your hand on your heart. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is that feels like it could overcome you, whatever it is that you just feel, I'm way out of my depth here, I can't shift or change the circumstances. Lord Jesus, you see us and you love us and you are for us. Teach us what it means to be a people that worship you, that praise you, that thank you, that adore you, that give generously to you in the midst of all the battles we face. Remind us today that the battle isn't ours, but it is yours. And may you teach us to be bold in proclaiming the mighty name of Jesus to this beautiful world you've called us to love and serve. Amen.